Is ketosis really a significant part of overcoming cancer? Well, my next guest, Dr. David Harper, seems to think so, and he's got a lot to support that. We take a deep dive in some strategies to really help, you know, mitigate the harshness of cancer treatments and just a win overall. Welcome to the Sewing Prosperity Podcast with host Logan Duvall. This father of four is an Arkansas successful small business owner whose world was turned upside down with the cancer diagnosis of his then five-year-old son. As Napoleon Hill famously stated, every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Come and join us on our journey to create a blue zone community with a focus on a holistic approach to anti-cancer, regenerative farming, and strengthening local economies. Dr. Harper, really excited to be visiting with you uh, and learn more. As far as uh, you know, your work it just speaks to everything that we have uh, experienced with you know my son having having uh, cancer and then the the keto approach and trying to understand the the metabolic approach uh, to cancer and overcoming. I, I just think that you have done a beautiful job with your book and the research you've put out. So, how did you get interested in in the cancer research? And, and keto, and, and what's what's that background uh, that you have experienced? Uh, well, that's a good question, actually, because it, it goes back uh, almost 15 years now. Um, it wasn't my area of expertise. I've always been a health educator at the university level, uh, and uh, yeah, but I, I was teaching the sort of, um, you know, standard American diet, they call it, the what, what's recommended by our policymakers, which is a very uh, high-carb, low-fat diet, and uh, I thought that was that was the healthiest diet, you know, and and um, but I was I, I had my eyes opened by a colleague uh, at the um, University of British Columbia up here in Vancouver, where I live, uh, and and he pointed out he'd been studying indigenous diets uh, and in particular Inuit diets, which are the people who live up north, of course, and and there's no you know in their 16,000 year history here in North America, they didn't have a lot of pizza and, uh, you know, cornflakes and that sort of thing. So, uh, and what's interesting about um, when the studies on Inuit, um, which are done with really good robust science is, is, is on their traditional diet, which is a very high fat, high saturated fat animal based diet. They have very, very little chronic disease. Um, and that's, you know, cancer, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, all of that. Uh, it is almost unheard of, uh, so much so that if, you know, one person, one woman on a ketogenic diet were to get cancer, it'd be worth writing about. Um, uh, when, when they're on our diet, um, you know, the, 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 the standard Western diet, I like the abbreviation standard American diet, sad, cause it is kind of sad, uh, which is, which is asking us to, I think, eat all the wrong foods. Um, uh, like the rest of the population, they, tend to develop obesity, insulin resistance, they get inflamed and they get chronic disease actually at a higher rate uh, than, than the rest of the population. So, so that sort of surprised me. And, and, and um, the fellow's name was Dr. Richard Mathias in the School of Public Health at UBC. And, and, and we were on a radio show together, actually. And, and uh, he was, we were talking about what's better for weight loss. Is it diet or is it exercise? And I think most people think uh, exercise. You know, you got to get out there and run around and burn off those calories. 
And uh, and so, you know, on air, he asked me that. And I said, well, you know, it's a very complicated thing. It's got psychosocial factors. It's got metabolic factors. It's got genetic factors. Uh, and and he sort of waited till I finished. And he said, no, it's that's not that's not it at all. It's your body's natural uh, physiologic response to excess carbohydrate in the diet. And, and you have to understand, I've been teaching this stuff for like 25 years at that point, or about 20 odd years. And, and uh, when I heard that, um, my brain, having understood physiology, was actually processing what he said. And my brain was saying, oh my God, he's right. And then the rest of my brain, the teacher part that I've been teaching for 20 odd years was saying, yeah, but that's not what I learned. And so uh, you know this from podcasts, we experienced some dead air. I was just like dumbfounded, I couldn't speak. <laughs> And then the light went on. It was literally an aha moment. The light went on. I said, oh, my God, he's right. And that just changed my life. I just went, I, I switched from, I was working in mathematical biofluid dynamics and teaching human health, and I switched into nutrition science. Um, and then that led me to teaming up because uh, I've been working with humans. I developed the, the BioDiet. I have a copy of my book here, which has been out for a while. People are interested. Um, I developed that, and uh, that's the clinical, the the, the same the same uh, protocol we use in our clinical studies, uh, which are on uh, women with uh, stage four metastatic breast cancer. We can talk about that. Um, and uh, so I was working with the BC Cancer Research Agency here, and we partnered up with a fellow named Jeff Volok, which you probably heard of. Uh, Dr. Volok is one of the absolute leaders in ketogenic science, written over 200 papers and has a big team at, at the Ohio State University. I've been told you must pronounce it. Um, and uh, and so we worked with the team there um, and actually ended up working through COVID uh, with women with stage four metastatic breast cancer using a ketogenic diet as an adjunct to see if it would have a positive effect uh, on their outcomes. And, and so that uh, paper, which was just re uh, released uh, last week or two weeks ago in a, a journal called Plus One, which uh, some of your listeners might have heard of, uh, it's available on Plus One if you look up. Actually, the, 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 the first author is Alex Buga, uh, B-U-G-A, um, and he's, he's a uh, research uh, associate, uh, graduate student, excuse me for a second here, uh, graduate student in, um, in, in Dr. Volek's lab. And and, you know, I'm kind of late in my career. I didn't really need the first authorship. So uh, so Alex did most of the heavy lifting there. And, and then there's a lot of people on that. It's a big team. And it was the most exhaustive, uh, most comprehensive, robust clinical trial I think you could do in nutrition science. We were doing imaging with a brand new tool called uh, a digital PET scan, which was using, you know, digital uh, scans of the, of the body and the tumor progression. We did uh, blood draws every uh, three months, every, every six weeks, actually. And that's in our lab here in, in British Columbia. We did the immunohistochemistry, which is looking at the blood cells and seeing how they're talking to each other and identifying tumor development and uh, suppressing or promoting uh, inflammation. Um, and it was amazing. So, so uh, we did run into a bit of a hurdle uh, being COVID. It was kind of hard to recruit people because we couldn't. Uh, so, um, but we're now releasing some of those papers. Uh, there'll be a series of them. And the first one came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. And I'm very excited for the team in Dr. Bullock's lab. There's a wonderful group of very, very smart people and, and talented people. And I, I was really just more of a supervisory role, but I helped write that first paper. So they gave me the, uh, the honor of being a uh, second author on that one. So uh, one thing that I, I'm curious is because I've been told by multiple oncologists that what we eat doesn't matter, but that's has, has been told to me that there's nothing outside of chemotherapy 
radiation, surgery that have an impact on cancer. So what you just said seems to be that you feel like maybe that's that's not accurate if we're studying diet and the effect of metastatic breast cancer. Yeah, well, we didn't know. I mean, they're they're not incorrect because if you don't know, you can't prescribe anything you don't know. We didn't know uh, whether it had any effect. Um, and there have been uh, quite a few studies, not just on breast cancer, but other types of cancer uh, that have used ketogenic diets. And I'll, I'll, I'll call that by the proper name, a well-formulated ketogenic diet, which means it's a balanced diet that includes all the nutrients. Um, uh, for those of your listeners who might not be familiar, ketogenic diets are, are very high fat uh, and very, very low carbohydrate. Um, so, uh, and we're not afraid of animal products or, you know, good grass fed butter or, you know, that sort of thing. I had some of that this morning. Um, and, uh, it's a more natural human diet, uh, I think. And I think you were, you were saying you just had Dr. Ken Berry on it. He calls it a proper human diet. I, I call it a natural human diet because I think that's how we evolved. Like I say, the, you know, the uh, Inuit in the north are, are similar to the way we evolved in, in uh, say, in Central Africa uh, along estuaries where, you know, there just wasn't a lot of cornflakes and pizza and bagels and stuff. So we were eating mostly animal stuff, probably fish, a lot of fish and, you know, some nuts and berries when we can find them. But it was very high fat. And, and what's interesting is when you put people on that kind of diet that have chronic disease, it seems to reverse the chronic disease. We, we know this for diabetes in particular. Um, uh, it, there's a, a company called Verta, uh, VRTA, based in California, and they're now national, uh, that help people with diabetes reverse that diabetes uh, through well-formulated ketogenic diet, um, uh, very low-carb, high-fat. And, and so all that fear that everybody would end up with, you know, cardiovascular disease from eating all this fat just hasn't surfaced. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time, 20 years now. I've been on a ketogenic diet for probably about 15 years. Um, and my blood work is absolutely pristine. I'm in my early 60s. I don't have any health issues. I lost about 27 pounds when I adopted the diet I designed in about 12 weeks, which is pretty typical for, for I was never even, I wasn't even overweight, uh, but I went from about 177 down to about 150. Uh, and, and that was, that was almost 15 years ago. I haven't gained a pound back since. So as long as you stay on the diet, keeps your inflammation down. And we measure that in the blood by something called C-reactive protein. Uh, my C-reactive protein is very low. My triglycerides in my blood are very low, despite the fact that this uh, cup of tea here has full fat, I mean, whipping cream in it. Um, I eat a, a very high saturated fat, high fat diet. And uh, so that's a sample size of one. That's me. But so what we're doing now is these clinical trials or these broader trials on, on larger numbers of people. And we get consistent results in uh, improvements in metabolic health. So metabolic health means their blood sugar is being controlled, their blood pressure is being controlled, their lipids are being controlled back to normal levels. So I kind of view it like, you know, think of one of you, an animal on a farm, you're a farmer, you know, if you feed it crappy food, it's going to get sick. And if you take that sick animal, you start feeding it the food it should be fed, it gets healthy again. And, 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 we, and no surprise, we're animals too. You know, the same thing happens with humans. If they've been a crappy diet and you put them on, a, on what's, what I would argue, and I guess Dr. Barry would argue is a, a natural human diet, a proper human diet, it reverses some of those chronic disease things. And we can talk a little bit why, but, 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 but I just want to also preface, I, I do have the title doctor, but that's an academic title. I'm a professor of kinesiology. Um, and uh, have been for a long time, but uh, but I'm not a physician, so uh, so anything I say is sort of you know is health advice, not medical advice. But but if you do want to 
adopt a ketogenic diet or want to consider doing that, you should talk to your physician, your family practice physician, and make sure because there's sometimes some contraindications in terms of medications and the like. Um, but you know, back of the envelope numbers, about seven out of eight people respond very positively, and about one out of eight people just doesn't seem to work very well. So maybe that's not the best diet for them. Uh, then there are very, very small. You know, we're talking you know, way less than 1% of people that have very uh, rare genetic disorders that, that, that makes it they can't um, properly metabolize the ketones that are produced, and they shouldn't be on a ketogenic diet. Uh, those are all discussed in my book too, but uh, for, for seven out of eight people, it'll work. And when you consider seven out of eight people in America right now are overweight or obese, and that's a disease, uh, there you go. There's your, there's your answer, and it's, it's, it's just eating real food, real healthy food that farmers make, <laughs> and uh, and if you do that, you'll be returned to good health, and I'm pretty darn sure it'll work. Can you can you paint that picture? So if we look at what uh, you know, Otto Warburg has put out with the the metabolic uh, you know energy production of a cancer cell versus uh, normal cells. Why is that uh, ketogenic diet or a low carb diet doing good for normal cells? and having an impact on cancer? Right, so uh, that's an excellent question. And, and I think, um, uh, you know, I can give a kind of a, a farmer or gardener's kind of approach to that, where if, if you think of, um, like, so let me, let me ask you, uh, Logan, um, during your lifetime, like you get, you know, odd cells and your immune system finds them and destroys them, but, but you know, people live long enough, they say everybody will get cancer eventually of some kind, but, um, you know, for the average person, how many times during their lifetime do you think they actually develop cancer? I personally feel like it's probably way more common than people have any any idea. It is. And you be, might be surprised. You develop potentially metastatic cancer cells two or three times every day. Every day. <laughs> Now, uh, the challenge your son had, and I'm, I'm sorry to hear about that, but I hope he's, he's doing well now. He's, he's uh, doing great. That's good. So uh, some of the younger cancers, they're more, they're more uh, genetically programmed. The wrong genes get turned on, and, and, and uh, they, they can be very aggressive, but they can also respond very well to treatment. Um, but the, the, the rest of us, it's more kind of a balancing act or, or an arms race, if you like. You're producing these cancer cells every day. And part of the role of your immune system is to find those cancer cells and kill them before they grow. And we have a number of these so-called natural killer cells and other types of cells that, that detect and find them. But as we age, you know, everything slows down, our metabolism slows down, our, our immune systems also slow down a bit. They're not as vigilant as they were when we were younger. So we're still producing those cancer cells every day, plus we've accumulated all the environmental uh, you know, radiation, environmental factors, and so on. So they're kind of building up in our system. Uh, and then we, we, we have um, uh, cancer cells being produced just randomly, just happens randomly a couple times a day, and our immune system's slowing down. So it kind of tips that way, which is why people, when they get older, tend to get more cancers. And they tend to be more of the chronic type, like prostate cancer for men, breast cancer for women, uh, colon cancer, uh, and I'm leaving lung cancer out of that. You can, it's very highly tied to, to smoking, of course, which is a lifestyle factor. Um, so what happens is, you know, you think of your, your cells in your body, your healthy cells, like a, a, a garden where you have all your grass and the flowers and everything you want to go. Now, now you're a farmer, so you'd know if you just leave that, it's going to be weeds in a couple of weeks, right? The weeds will just take over. Think of the weeds as those cancer cells. They grow faster and they outcompete the healthy stuff. 
and they turn your garden into a pile of weeds, which is unhealthy in our, in our metaphor. Well, that same thing kind of happens in, in your body. If you don't have something to weed the cancer cells out, they'll grow and take over. And that's your immune system does that. So when you eat a high carbohydrate diet, uh, what that does is raise the carbohydrate levels in your blood. Uh, and our body responds by releasing insulin, which as you know, Canadian discovery, by the way, I'm Canadian. So that was uh, one of the great discoveries of the last century. Uh, insulin is what um, allows the cells of your body to take that uh, sugar out of your blood and, and, and take it into fat cells and muscle cells and so on. Um, uh, but insulin is also a very powerful growth promoter. And when you consider cancer cells are uncontrolled growth, then insulin is promoting that growth. And when you consider what you're mentioning, Otto Vorberg, who uh, it was a theory about, uh, he called it fermentation, which is that cancers, about 60 to 90% of solid tumor cancers uh, are dependent on anaerobic metabolism. In other words, they can't burn fats and proteins very well. They're, they're, they're stuck on glucose and they don't use oxygen well. So they have to use anaerobic respiration like we do when we're sprinting. And, 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 and what that does is make a huge, because it's not very efficient anaerobic respiration compared to aerobic, it's about 18 times less efficient. So those cancer cells need tons and tons of glucose. So if you're feeding it a lot of carbohydrate, you're raising your blood levels, that's great for the cancer cells because they're saying, okay, there's an infinite supply of sugar here. And on top of that, you've got this insulin, which is saying grow like crazy. So that's the kind of basic theory is that, is that, um, by having a high carbohydrate diet, uh, as you develop cancer cells, which you do every day, you're actually promoting the growth of those cells. So it's like promoting the weed growth by providing it with the food, which is like sunlight because plants turn sunlight into food, uh, and the growth factor, which is like fertilizer. So think of the insulin, like the fertilizer and, and the sun <clears throat> is like the glucose optimal conditions for tumor growth. Now, if you turn that around, and you don't take the, you, you can't run your blood sugar down to zero, but if you limit it to its natural steady state, and you can produce your own blood sugar, by the way, you don't need to eat any of it. There's no essential carbohydrates. So you don't need to eat any carbohydrates, you'll be totally fine. Um, and uh, so if you keep those levels low, then the insulin levels are also low. So now the cancer cells in it are in an environment where there's limited carbohydrate available, limited glucose, and there's limited insulin levels, which reduces its ability to grow, which then tips that balance in favor of your immune system, gives it a better shot at finding those cells and destroying them before they grow. So that's the basic principle. And um, uh, it, it does seem to work. I mean, in our, uh, in our subjects, we've seen tumor regression. And these are women that are very, they're stage four, so they're very ill. Uh, uh, they have a typical life expectancy of six months to a year. Uh, but we've seen complete tumor regression in some of those individuals. Uh, now, they're still on standard of care, uh, which means they're still taking um, chemotherapies. And it is not um, a, a, a heterogeneous group of patients. They're, they're, um, uh, it's, it's a group of women that have different hormone sensitivities. So there's the estrogen, progesterone, HER, so on. Um, uh, those sensitivities are mixed and the treatments are mixed. So it's, so it's kind of a pilot study with a small sample size. But what we found in our study, which was really kind of cool, is first of all, every individual responded the same way a healthy young athlete would. They had the same positive changes in metabolic state, same moderation of blood sugar, same moderation of lipids, same reduction in inflammatory markers, 
uh, same reduction in body fat. And, and, and most of these women were, were overweight or obese, uh, which is typical for breast cancer. Um, and so we, so the first thing is first do no harm. And the, the, what the first paper really shows is we did no harm. There was no adverse effects associated with the diet as an adjunct to their standard of care. And we did see some positive results, which will, with the imaging and so on, which will, which will be showing in some future papers. Uh, we did see some positive changes in, we call it the immunohistochemistry. So this is the uh, response of the immune system. The immune system are a bunch of cells that talk to one another, very complicated kind of language. And the language they use is a chemical language and they're called chemokines and cytokines and like, you know, interleukin one and, uh, and colony stimulating factor. There's a whole bunch of them, a couple of dozen. And what we saw also was a positive change in some of these uh, anti-inflammatory markers that would, would, would potentially be anti-tumor. Now, what I don't want to leave your listeners with is the notion that a ketogenic diet will cure cancer. That's, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is it, it, it won't hurt. The theory behind it seems to work. Uh, and in the small sample size, we had some positive results that seem to indicate it's working. Um, but this is just a, a sort of an early pilot study that, that is a proof of principle, I would say. Um, so that's kind of how it works. Now, can we, can we show that this diet would prevent you from getting cancer? Well, that's a tough one. I, I think it's pretty hard to show that a diet will prevent you from getting anything. And the reason for that is you'd have to have thousands of people over decades, right, in two groups, experimental group and control group. You'd have to feed one group only a ketogenic diet and let the other group eat what they want. And you have to look at the rates at which they contract cancer over about 30 years. And, and our study for 13 women was uh, about $820,000. So there's not enough money on the planet to do that study. Uh, so what we can show is that it has positive effects on people that do have the condition. So we can reverse diabetes permanently in about two-thirds of patients that have type 2 diabetes as long as they stay on a ketogenic diet with no other drug intervention. In fact, they can usually go off their uh, metformin and their insulin and so on. Um, we, can, we can do that. We can, it, it's a good treatment for epilepsy. We can show the markers for cardiovascular disease for, are reversed. Uh, some neurological conditions have responded well, even autism. So, so uh, what, it, what it does is by returning your body to its natural state through natural proper nutrition, uh, it allows your body to heal itself rather than having to worry about the medical system and do it for you. The, the first thing I want to ask is about uh, the effect of, say, uh, the ketogenic diet and insulin-potentiated chemotherapy. Is is that something that can just happen by being in a fasted state, uh, being in ketosis when you receive chemo? And, or what's what's the difference as far as having that as a strategy and just kind of a state at which you receive treatment? Yeah, so so the women in our study, you know, they had already been through all the treatment regimens and there was no other options left for them other than just sort of standard of care chemotherapy to try and try and reduce the tumor progression. Um, uh, and uh, but uh, you can't really just switch your metabolic system overnight. It takes a while. Fortunately, really only a couple of weeks. I mean, we've seen people that have been diabetic for more than a decade, taking, you know, 100 units of insulin a day, and in two weeks, they don't need any. They just return really quick. Uh, that's an extreme case, of course. 
Um, but but it does take a couple of weeks. It's kind of like uh, you know I got a guitar in the background over there. Uh, I don't really play very well, but but when you play guitar, you develop calluses on your fingers, right, from pushing on the strings. So that's your body's response, producing proteins in response to a stimulus. So when you when you ad adopt a ketogenic diet, you have to turn on these genes that turn on various proteins that allow you to use those ketones and so on. So think of them same idea, but happening in your body. And it takes a couple of weeks for that to happen. Um, once it does, you'll you'll experience some noticeable changes. I mean, my friends kind of, uh, my last name's Harper, so they call it the Harper High. Is often people just one day they wake up and it's like their brain is just on fire, like it's working again. All that goo has been pulled out of it. That you know, women have talked about uh, you know during menopause having like cotton wool in their brain, and um, so we know it's having a positive effect in the brain. We can see the metabolic effect in terms of weight loss. I mean, it, it is without question, regardless of what you see in all that gunk on the internet, uh, it is the best way to lose weight and maintain that weight loss as a ketogenic diet. Uh, in 12 weeks, women will typically lose 10 to 15 pounds and women and men will lose 20 to 25 pounds. Uh, and we've had people lose a lot more over longer periods of time. Uh, and you keep it off as long as you stay on the diet. Uh, and by the way, the diet, uh, it, it, I use the term bio diet you know, it's not a diet in terms of a short-term calorie-restricted thing. It, I actually like to talk to you about what a calorie is too, but it is a lifestyle change. So once you make that lifestyle, it takes a little while for your body to adapt to that lifestyle, and then you receive the benefits for as long as you maintain it. So in terms of a study like this, um, the women are brought into the study, uh, and we teach them and support them, and we actually make all of their food. We have a commercial kitchen at The Ohio State University. We produce all their food. They come in every three days, they get their food for three days uh, and whatever they want to drink, all, everything that they consume other than water, uh, and we weigh it to a tenth of a gram. Uh, and, and then they bring everything back dirty, we weigh it again, so we know exactly what they've taken to a tenth of a gram in terms of the macronutrients, the carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Uh, so that's very well controlled. Um, and, uh, and we do that for three months, as we and then and then we call it free living, as they, they now know how to make ketogenic food and so on, and they, they do that on their own. By the way, I, I've been doing this for 15 years. I, I love food. I'm a, I'm a foodie guy. And I got to say, like a ketogenic diet, um, at first you go, oh, I can't have like rice, potatoes, uh, you know, French fries, pasta, all that stuff. You go, yeah, no, but you can have like, you can have uh, like chicharrones, you know, like pork with the, which is, I eat those all the time. Uh, which is the pork skin, you know, fried in lard. And you can have all the eggs you want and you can have all the you know steak and things that you want. I think I think uh, uh, Dr. Barry was saying the other day he eats 800 pounds of beef a year, which <laughs> is a little bit extreme, but but that's where the flavor is is in the fat, right? It's in the fat is is where the flavor. The the actual carbohydrate without the sugar, the salt, or whatever, just it, it has no flavor. It's like cardboard. So if you took that out of cornflakes, you'd never eat cornflakes. If you took the salt and the sugar and stuff out of it, you'd never eat it because it's just like nothing. So, um, so you know, you can use that grain and stuff that you farmers are doing just to feed it to the animals, and then we'll eat the animals. That's uh, I'm, but now I do eat a lot of vegetables too. I should say that you know I do, but fresh vegetables and you know a handful of berries. I go easy on fruit because it's got a lot of sugar in it. Um, but if we can, I, let, let's talk about calories for a sec. Let's do it. Because a lot of people talk about well, calories. You're eating all that fat. Isn't that a high calorie diet? Well, first of all. The fat, saturated fat, and I've gone all over the world talking to scientists, physicians, and everything on podcasts and, and live in person. I ask every audience, tell me what it is about a saturated fat that would cause a problem at the cellular level. 
It's just carbon and hydrogen, right? It's the cleanest burning fuel you can put in your body. And when we do the exhaustive studies on the effects of saturated fat alone, you know, because a lot of people that eat a lot of saturated fat also eat a lot of sugar and they smoke and they drink too much. If you just look at the saturated fat, it, it's absolutely a wash. It has no ill health effects, saturated fat on its own. Now, there are better versions and, you know, you don't want to eat trans fats, for example. But saturated fats on their own are fine in the absence of a high carbohydrate diet. Totally fine. But what is it? Calories. People go, well, calories, you know, that has a lot of calories. So I don't know what you did in your high school science, but do you, do you, do you remember what the unit of a, is of a calorie? What calories no. are? So they're no. a unit of heat, right? So one calorie is the heat it takes to raise one uh, mill, one cc, one cubic millimeter of uh, 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 cubic centimeter, sorry, of, of water by one degree. That's what a calorie is. It's a unit of heat. So what does that got to do with weight? <laughs> well, you know, any weight that you gain, you put in your mouth and swallowed, right? So if you actually want to gain less weight, you want to get the calories you need, the energy you need in the densest form possible, not the least dense form. So you want the most calories per weight because that means you're eating less weight. And what is that? Those are fats. They have more than twice the calorie density that other foods do, proteins and carbohydrates. So you eat half as much and get the same amount of energy. So if you, turn, if you look at calories in terms of, yes, we need 2,000 or so calories a day to fuel our body, sure, that's what you need. But you don't eat calories. <laughs> you eat mass. And the mass of that food, the best, the most dense food is fats. So, so that's one of the things I, I just, it's so ingrained in people about calories. I go, they don't even know what calories are, right? So, so don't worry about calories. You don't count calories on a ketogenic diet. You just eat, you, when you're hungry, you eat. And when you're full, you stop eating. No calorie count. I, I think that's been one of the biggest takeaways as I've played around with uh, carnivore and meat-based diets, just you don't count the calories. Uh, nope. and, and that's something that, you know, I, that, that may be a hard one to break to get people away from because I think that's the first thing that everybody tends to, to look at. Now, I want to go back to the saturated fat yep. real quick uh, because you, you said it's uh, hydrogen. Why, why is hydrogen so important? So if – and I'm kind of setting you up here. I just want like hydrogen <laughs> is unbelievably important, but I don't think very many people realize – how, how it affects metabolism or anything else. Yeah, well, well, it's hydrocarbons. So, so it's the carbon and hydrogens together. It's the bonds where the energy is. So what our cells do is take those long chains of carbons with all the hydrogens on them and they break them off. And when they break them, it releases energy. We capture that energy uh, in the form of something called ATP, which is sort of the energy currency in your cell. It's like dollar bills. And every time you want to do something, you got to spend some dollar bills. So every time you want to build something or move something around in your body, you have to expend ATP. So that comes from the bonds between the carbons and hydrogens. And, and, and all of the macronutrients, proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, as well as nucleic acids, um, all of those uh, contain hydrogen carbon carbon bonds to differing degrees in different forms and so on. But the most dense form is the, the oils and fats because there's no water in there. Water, water itself doesn't have any energy, it's oxygen and hydrogen. 
Um, well, I mean, it, it, it does if you put it in like a nuclear reactor or something, but, but we, don't, we don't use that metabolically. We use hydrocarbons, the same way your car uses hydrocarbons if it's not an electric car. Um, and, and it just takes those hydrocarbons and it turns it into, with, with the use of oxygen, turns it into carbon dioxide, water, and, and it releases the energy that we capture in another molecular form that can be, then be used at that, as that currency within the body. Which is extremely important for energy production. That is where everything comes from, right? And so my point, my point there, if you're saying saturated fat, um, you know, carbon and hydrogen, and then we have uh, another form of hydrogen when we want to, to go into like what Dr. Laszlo Boris, who I, I just, I love, I love Laszlo, is putting out there. Everything you're saying supports what Dr. Boros is saying, really, with the ketogenic approach. Because if we take the different hydrogen, saturated fat is going to produce hydrogen, uh, even the vegetable oils, the sugars, that's going to produce a higher deuterium content that completely disrupts the cellular energy production. So one thing that has kind of been a little bit of a, a goal for mine is to raise kind of the uh, conversation and awareness around the deuterium topic because it is what I believe fundamentally important and it actually supports everything you're saying at, at the basic, the, the most fundamental level. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner too. This is not something I'm familiar with. So, uh, you can send me a link. I'd be happy. Did, did you have him on as a, as a podcast? Maybe we can go have a listen. Yes. And, yeah. and I, and, and he has been absolutely incredible as far as wanting to share and been willing to communicate more than than very many people. And it's just it's yeah. so appreciative. But when when we look at that topic, it supports it what you have done uh, at another layer that's beautiful. So I'll definitely get get that yeah. to you. Uh, just yeah. it, just the the deuterium being almost uh, it's ten to a hundred times bigger than the hydrogen, and it uh, completely breaks the nanomotors inside the mitochondria that produce the ATP. And so that's right. the thing. We're not producing it when we have deuterium in there where hydrogen is supposed to be. Yeah. And that's very interesting to me. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the mitochondria because, um, you know, if you look at ketogenic diets and their ability to <clears throat> prevent, and I would argue prevent and, and treat uh, metabolic disorders. And so I, so in, in, in my book, uh, Biodiet, I talk about this axis of illness. And if you talk to any physician, and by the way, physicians get almost no nutritional <laughs> training in medical school. Uh, if you talk to any physician, they'll tell you, oh yeah, obesity, uh, insulin resistance, and inflammation are huge problems in chronic disease. So if you look at, if you just Googled any of those, you'd come up with a number of about 70%. So about 70% of all the chronic disease, that's the cancer, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, uh, all of the, about 70% of all that is due to, uh, is due to obesity and overweight due to insulin resistance and due to inflammation. And so I make this little triangle, I call it the axis of illness. Remember that axis of evil that George Bush yep. one came up with? So the axis of, uh, of, uh, illness. So insulin resistance, inflammation, obesity, and it turns out at the cellular molecular level, you can demonstrate, it has been demonstrated clearly that they all make each other worse. So insulin resistance makes inflammation, obesity worse, obesity makes it. And so they make each other worse. So 
my sort of very simple theory is that when you eat a high carbohydrate diet, you aggravate all of those three things. They get worse and they make each other worse. And so you end up in this sort of vicious circle or cycle that gets worse and worse. And then it spins off as cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, you know, whatever. Spins off as prediabetes, diabetes. Spins off as cancer. Uh, or maybe it spins off as a neurological disorder. But if you go backwards and see, well, why would those, what's happening with those three things that would cause all these chronic conditions? And it really goes back to the mitochondria. Uh, which are the, the energy converters within the cell. And so, you know, there's a lot of talk of intermittent fasting and all that and how that causes autophagy, the turnover of cells. More important than that is mitophagy. The mitochondria are actually probably some sort of proto-bacteria that when cells were forming early were absorbed and they actually have their own DNA. They reproduce sort of within our cells, like they're separate little organisms in there, friends within, if you like. But they get old and sick. And when they get old and sick, they create uh, inflammatory, it's called senescence. They start creating in inflammatory chemicals within the cell that interfere with all the cell processes. Um, and, and so uh, what we want to do is have them turn over from, from old mitochondria to new ones. And what science has shown us is the best way to do that is exercise, which is why exercise is so important because it kind of puts enough stress on them that they, they reproduce. So exercise is definitely beneficial. Um, but the other thing that, that's really good is, is, is ketones. Ketones will, will, will improve the health of the mitochondria um, directly. The ketones directly help improve the, the, the health. Also of the, the outer membrane of the cell, there's, there's this thing called arachidonic acid levels, which is on its own freely is a pro-inflammatory chemical, but it's also embedded within membranes and it helps with their fluidity and so on. Um, so, uh, so anyway, the ketogenic diet, I think, works at the mitochondrial level ultimately, but it also, as I say, reduces this blood sugar, reduces insulin in the blood. Now, another thing that happens um, when you eat too much carbohydrate and you have too much sugar in your blood, uh, hyperglycemia, not necessarily all the time, but a lot of the time, because we eat a lot of carbohydrates, you know, you eat your breakfast, toast, cereal, whatever, carbs, eat your lunch, you know, you have a muffin, then you eat your lunch, then you have potatoes and stuff. For so you're just loading yourself up with carbs all day. So the, it all turns into glucose. So it's all different forms of sugar. When it turns into glucose, that glucose in your blood at high levels starts to gum up proteins and nucleic acids within the cells and within the body. It, uh, uh, so they're called AGEs, advanced glycated entities, these, these gummed up proteins and so on. And, and, and ironically, the, 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 um, you know, the acronym is AGE, right? Um, now, what that does is spark an inflammatory response. So the, there are the white cells called macrophages, the big white cells that go around patrolling, looking for things. They're also in charge of inflammation and, and, and partly involved with reducing cancer tumors and so on. Uh, they have receptors on them called RAGE, receptors for advanced glycated entities called RAGE. And it's a good name because it, it enrages the, the, uh, the macrophages, they release all kinds of inflammatory chemicals, which leads to this systemic inflammation, one of those three hallmarks of the axis of illness, right? So uh, just by reducing, again, the carbohydrate load and reducing the insulin load, you're reducing the formation of these AGEs, which helps prevent that chronic inflammation that so many people experience as they get older as aches and pains. So, you know, people ask me, well, how do they know if the diet's working? Well, 
aches and pains go away. By the way, when you did your, your you know, you're experimenting with your carnivore diet, I bet you weren't hungry all the time. No. What and part of that is because the, also you're moderating the, the leptin and ghrelin, which are the hormones that control the hunger and satiety centers. So one of the great things about ketogenic diets is you don't get hungry like you used to. You don't get starving. I got to eat something, and then you grab a carb. And uh, Dr. Dom Diagostino at University of South Florida has been studying this with uh, with warfighters too, with Navy SEALs in particular, uh, because often they're in combat situations where they they can't eat for maybe 48 hours if they're in a firefight or something like that. But they got to still stay mentally alert, and they can't be worried about being hungry. And so it it works really well. With that, by reducing, I, I've, I've talked to uh, emergency room physicians that have gone keto, and they say it's been the most amazing thing. I can work a 24-hour shift, and I don't have to eat. And the reason you don't have to eat is you're burning fats all the time. So even though you know I'm eating 60 to 70 percent of my diet is saturated fat, if you look at my blood, the triglycerides, which are the fats floating around in the blood, is very very low because I'm burning it all the time. I'm not burning the sugars because I don't need to do that. I leave those for my brain and so on. And I'm using fats as my primary fuel. So you shift from a sugar burner to a fat burner. And that's why you don't get hungry because the fat is there all the time. Like if you start running without eating, you're going to run out of fuel in a couple hours, like carbohydrates. You use up all the glycogen and so on. They call it bonking or hitting the wall, you know, when people are running marathons. Uh, but if you're burning fat all the time, you got You can store fat as much as you want, as we know from people that become hugely. But you just keep burning that fat. So, you know, I still got a little extra fat I could use up when I need it. But I, I just don't get hungry like other people do. I, I, I usually have a, a meal at the start of the day and the end of the day, and I don't eat anything in the middle. But what I eat is very high fat, high energy food. And, and, and well, as I say, it's a, it's a well-balanced diet. So I get all the nutrients that I need from the foods that I eat. Um, and uh, you can get most of most all of that from, from, uh, from animals. If you eat the whole animal nose to tail, then, you know, there's really very, very little other nutrients that you need. Do you have any thoughts on the exogenous ketones uh, or, or seeing anything in that realm? Yep. Um, <laughs> as we were talking, I just got an alert that my friend, uh, Dr. Stephen Cunane, uh, who's at University of Sherbrooke, he's been studying exogenous ketones for people with mild cognitive impairment and, um, and with Alzheimer's. Um, so these are aging people that are, their brains are slowing down like they do. Uh, or they're becoming pathogenic as they do in Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. So the exogenous ketones, that means you're actually eating ketones. Uh, he's using just MCT oil, which is uh, medium chain triglycerides. It's uh, uh, basically you get it from coconut oil. Uh, and it's C8. So there's eight carbons in there, which is the best form. Uh, C8 is so if you're, if you're going to use MCT oil, uh, you want to look for one that's pure C8. Um, and uh, there's various brands out there uh, we can talk about if you want. But um, so insulin is not needed to get sugar from the blood into the brain cells, the neurons. It is needed in the neurons for the proper metabolism of those glucose molecules. So it's not that you need the, it's like the, the, the lock on the door. You don't need the insulin to get into the car, but, but once you turn the motor, it's kind of like the fuel pump that keeps things working properly. So you still need insulin. And so what happens in Alzheimer's, we figure, this is um, uh, Dr. Delamonte at Brown University says, well, well, really, Alzheimer's is type 3 diabetes. It's insulin resistance of the brain. Is you, you, the sugars have gummed up the brain now, and you, the brain is becoming insulin resistant. Well, the brain is dependent on glucose. It can't burn fats and, well, it can burn glycerol, but it can't burn fats, can't burn proteins 
but it can burn ketones. And so when you take this exogenous ketone, the brain actually prefers it to the glucose and, and, it, and it goes down its concentration gradient. There's another little receptor. Sometimes it's also called MCT, but that's not for medium chain triglyceride. That's, it's the transporter that gets the ketone into the neurons and, and, the, and the ketone in the neurons burns with much less oxidative stress in the neurons. So it burns, it's kind of like turning your uh, brain from a gas powered brain into an electric brain. Uh, and now it's burning much more cleanly. And so he sees very noticeable and significant improvements in cognitive function in both people with cog mild cognitive impairment, but more importantly, in people with Alzheimer's. They're actually improving their cognitive function just with two tablespoons of MCT oil every day. How cool is that? Uh, too neat. Well, the the metabolic aspect of everything just makes too much sense. Uh, and, and this, it just kind of comes from all the different angles coming to the uh, same or similar conclusion. I think it's really interesting. So what, what's next for you? What's, uh, what's the plans and how can we send people to, to, you know, find out more? Oh, sure. Uh, well, keep looking for our papers coming out. Uh, I mean, there's, there's lots of, uh, I, I should say that the, the, there's a lot of gunk out there on the internet. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not trying to sell you anything other than my book and you don't make money writing books. Right. But, uh, if people want to know why a ketogenic works diet works in kind of the same way I've explained to you, that's the first half of my book bio diet. The second half is the step-by-step -step process by which you adopt uh, um, a healthy diet. It's not a cookbook. It's a how-to and a why it's a why to, and then a how-to. Um, and I wrote it with my wife, Dale Drury, to get it at the level that people can understand uh, the layperson. So it's explained pretty straightforward. Uh, it's been very successful. And, and, and this is the same dietary regimen we use in our clinical studies. Um, now, they can just go to my website, too, which is biodiet.org. Uh, and uh, by the way, sometimes it autocorrects to bday.org, which you don't want to go to. <laughs> Should thought of that but bio diet all one word dot org uh, and you can order the book there it's available in audio and ebook and so it's not very expensive uh, but there's also if they there's a resources tab and that has a whole bunch of stuff some some interviews I've done and some a lot of research uh, that's been done by myself and others on all kinds of about 30 different conditions that improve with ketogenic diets uh, it's got some uh, a shopping list in there and some of the figures from the book and so on so they don't even need to buy the book they can just go and get that stuff um, but if they do die, uh, the book, uh, my, my email address in there, if they send me a note, I'll, I'll re respond to them. I do, I do, uh, support, um, I get messages from women, uh, all over the world that, uh, you know, are interested in, 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 they have breast cancer and they're interested in this. And, uh, you know, I, I help them to the point, I don't charge anybody anything for this. This is just pro bono. I, I, I don't want to make any money out of this, but, but I am a shameless advocate for ketogenic diets because I think like Dr. Barry does, this is a natural human diet. Uh, that if you try it uh, with your physician's supervision, that try it for 12 weeks and see if it works. And I think most people will be really surprised at how well it works. And then it's really just a matter of, of changing your habits. You know, um, most, most, most people in the West, Americans, Canadians, whatever, we eat about the same 10 or so meals every day, right? The old, the old thing was, well, Wednesday's pork chop day and, you know, Friday's fish and whatever. Well, um, just change those into diets that don't have the potatoes, rice, pasta, bread, and add in, you know, more olive oil and saturated fats and, you know, good leafy vegetables that grow above the ground. And, and uh, you can have a really healthy, fulfilling, satisfying uh, diet. Um, it does take more thought. 
And I think that's part of the problem. Again, as a farmer, your life is all about food, making food, but also appreciating the food. And and I think because we have such a convenient society with all these pre-made, pre-designed fast food and ultra-processed foods, we don't think about food enough. We don't think about where it comes from. You know, meat does not grow in a cellophane thing with saran wrap on it. It grows out there eating grass and, and you know, and we take it to an arbitoire and we make it in the food. People need to appreciate what food is and where it came from and the hard work and, and, and the lifestyle that we need to support to keep farmers in business. Uh, and I, I just don't think we need ultra processed food. You know, the, the, there's about, um, yeah, I think it's about $7 trillion a year that humans spend on food. Uh, other than real estate, it's the biggest transactional business, more than oil and gas. And about three trillion of that is ultra-processed and processed foods, uh, which are probably not good for you. And and a lot of them aren't really food. I wouldn't. Really, I mean, they're consumable. I wouldn't call it food. Um, I think people got to get back to that eating food that farmers grow as they grow it and making it themselves. And and, and if you do that, uh, you know, the, even if there's an increased time effort there. The cost you're saving towards the end of your life when you're spending all this money on, you know, stuff that relates to chronic disease, that's expensive to treat chronic disease when it happens. So why not prevent it? And and I, I think back of the envelope, if you adopt a well-formulated ketogenic diet for seven out of eight people, you're going to reduce your risk of chronic disease by about 70%. And there's no drug you can take that'll do that. So there's your there's your ticket for a long healthy life. Uh, I always sign my books when I sign for people, you know, health and happiness. And so, you know, I wish you the same health and happiness. Um, happy to come back on your show if you uh, if you want to talk about the paper a bit more and the other papers we got coming out. Uh, it's really important stuff. I really appreciate what you're doing for for your listeners is to provide uh, a vehicle where people like me can talk directly to the public. Uh, because it, it's very, very challenging to talk to policymakers and so on because they, they, they have a hard time admitting they've been wrong for 30 or 40 years. So they just won't. So you just got to talk right to the people, and that's what you're allowing me to do. So that's great. Well, no, I've, I've greatly enjoyed it. Uh, the book, you have done an amazing job making it uh, detailed yet understandable. And uh, thank it's, you. it's a wonderful thank book. I highly recommend it. And uh, thank you for the time. We'll definitely follow up. We get the the paper completely out there, and I would love to love to visit more. Absolutely, yeah. So even just for the accent, because I, <laughs> I have friends in ten, I have friends and family in Tennessee. So you make me sound like I'm talking to my family. I can do the accent it. if you want. If you want to talk to the South, you know, I you <laughs> I all you all you all want to talk more about this. I can talk about this all till till the cows come home. <laughs> I go. My brother in law's from Kentucky, so I know I know how to speak Kentucky too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, yeah. th- thank you again. Yeah. Okay. Take care, man. Thank you for joining us on Sewing Prosperity. Be sure to follow along across the social media platforms, including YouTube, and be sure to go to sewingprosperity.com.